electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Day one of the Stock Summit is in the books. The Investment Committee revealing their best ideas for the second half of 2021. The energy and resource space, I think, still has some legs into the second half of this year. Scott, the punchline is the free cash flow generation here is frankly unlike anything I've ever seen. Technically, when you look at Apple, it looks like it could be breaking out here. The transportation of goods leads me towards UPS. Match actually has been really disappointing. It's flat year to date, and it's the ultimate open name. You've got a lot more opportunity in a Facebook uh, versus some of the other things. That's why I think energy just continues to rock. Now a new group of committee members with their best ideas for your money. Day two of our exclusive Stock Summit begins now. All right, welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Excited to have you back with us for day two of the Stock Summit. And joining us today, another supersized group. Josh Brown is here along with Pete Nigerian, Kerry Firestone, Degas Wright, Brenda Vangelo, Steve Weiss, and Richard Saperstein. Let's check stocks. They are coming off the best day in months, as you know. We're still positive, not nearly what we were yesterday. We're hanging on to gains, though, right now across the board. NASDAQ so far, the big winner up 53 points, a little more than a third of a percent. Bitcoin, yep, we're watching that, too, going negative for the year, dipping below 30,000. Check a check right there. There is Bitcoin. It's rebounding a bit now, 32,000. It's a loss of one and a third percent, but that remains a big story for the day as well. But let's get right to our stock summit today. Josh Brown, my friend, you are up first with a pick that we've heard about before and maybe a couple that we haven't heard you talk about. Live Nation is number one. Let's start there. Okay, cool. I went to the first concert back at Madison Square Garden Sunday night. Uh, Foo Fighters came out to a mask-free, completely vaccinated capacity crowd of more than 16,000 people screaming at the top of their lungs. Three hours of singing, crying, chugging beers, hugging, high-fiving. It was totally out of control. People were so excited to be back at the shows, I thought the building was going to crumble. So until you experience that again, for the first time in 15 months, 
I can't explain to you why this stock is such a no-brainer to me. You're just not going to get it. So you have to go experience that for yourself. Wait till you see what Lala looks like, Coachella, Rolling Loud. I think they're doing three of them this summer. This is a historic moment for, for this category. Live Nation is the dominant name in this category. You have to believe that going to shows is a number one priority for probably two-thirds of Americans and people in Europe, et cetera. So I think the stock's going to have a great second half. I'm invested in this one personally. And you don't, and you don't think that a lot of the story you just told is, is in the name, right? It's, I mean, it's up 20-some-odd percent year-to-date. Not even close. You just think that the street hasn't even come to the sort of emotional grips with what you witnessed yourself at the Garden. Not even close. I'm, I'm, I'm predicting six months of New Year's Eve, seven nights a week in this country, between now and the end of this year. People are ready to just go bananas, and I'm, I'm part of it. So I'm, I want to make money from it, too. All right. Teradata is number two. TDC. Talk to me. Okay. You remember a few years ago when Adobe was selling enterprise software licenses and basically they were a transactional business and then they decided, you know what, we should be annually recurring revenue? Teradata is doing the exact same thing and I don't think there's a lot of awareness about this on Wall Street. This was a old school, traditional data housing uh, business, dates back decades, and they decided last year they're going to stop letting all these cloud computing companies eat their lunch. And the results now are absolutely massive. They have a big customer base, but in February, for the first time, you look at the stock chart, the stock almost doubled when we found out about how explosive their conversion rates are, moving traditional customers onto their cloud products. So it spent the last few months consolidating that doubling in stock price, and I think it's waiting for the next leg higher. Look at a 10-year chart. There's a lot of potential as the street starts to buy into this business model trans, well, but, uh, transformation. I, mean, starts, I think it's like the second inning here. Yeah, starts to buy in. Wow, the second inning for a stock that's up a, a double year to date. Uh, still one of the cheapest stocks in technology. If you, I, I, I really think that this is still being discovered. And again, go back to Adobe, some of these other old school tech companies that switched from transactional to annually recurring revenue. The multiple that Wall Street ends up awarding to these companies is significantly higher than where Teradata is trading currently. Okay. Uh, and lastly, a stock that I don't think we've talked about before. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Upstart Holdings. Um, tell me what they do, why you this like is, it. This is my favorite DL fintech company. Everybody thinks that there's like this, this thing going on with fintech where it's just software companies versus banks. Upstart is the exact opposite. They're an online lender, and they do keep a portion of the loans they make, but they sell 98% of these loans to the banks, and the banks are desperate uh, for, for this type of, of partnership. So Upstart basically has, has a 1,000 variables that they use to judge a potential borrower's creditworthiness, which is very important. A traditional FICA-based loan on the bank is like eight different variables. They've spent eight years training their software platform to do this using 10 million data points. And now the banks are coming to them, help us make more profitable loans, make a higher volume of loans, and give us the tools that we need. So Bank of America, JP Morgan, they will develop their own AI. But there are like another 10,000 banks in America that need a little bit of help. They don't have the resources to build their own tech. So I think Upstart has this really unique position. now. 
the stock is down from 160, right? It's it's already lost a lot of it, uh, a lot of its gains because insiders got unlocked for the first time since the IPO. I think that's largely going to be behind the stock, and now we're going to focus on the business, and the business is booming. Okay, so we'll finish with you where we started in a, in a sense because your favorite sector for the remainder of the year is discretionary, which 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 by the way, I mean. The, the XLY is, is not up that much year to date, maybe not as much as some people had thought. Tell me why discretionary plays into your overall thesis, even as you have some technology-related companies out of your three uh, top picks. Look, I, I would just say this is a moment where it's not worth overthinking it. If you look at anything from household balance sheets to salary increases, like any way you want to think about the consumer, the consumer is absolutely on fire. And I think when you look at the list of names in the XLY, it's hard to make the case against any of these companies having a strong second half. I'll just reel off a few. The biggest whole, Amazon is 25% of this industry, uh, of this industry ETF. And you know that I'm bullish Amazon. Um, Tesla is 12%, Home Depot, McDonald's, Nike, Lowe's, Starbucks, Target, Booking Holdings, General Motors, Ford. These companies, uh, Chipotle's in here, eBay. These are all companies poised to benefit from a, a strong, confident, excited consumer. So thematically, it fits with a lot of what I just told you, for example, about Live Nation. And I really don't think that we're going to see a major difference in the mood of the consumer between now and year end. So if we're saying second half, where do you want to bet? These are the types of stocks I want to bet on. All right, good stuff. Uh, appreciate you getting us started. Carrie, you're up next, and your top pick, well, sort of one of your three, I'll make it the top because it's first on my list, is PayPal, which is, by the way, widely owned. Almost everybody on the program today owns PayPal. But tell me why, of all the stocks you could have selected for the remainder of the year, PayPal makes that list. Yeah, well... Payment processing is going to be very, very strong because we know that the acceleration that was begun during COVID toward payment processing online and digital accelerated and is continuing. PayPal has 400 million active users between PayPal and Venmo, and that's just growing. They had so much growth last year. It was just unbelievable. We expect that sales will be up 20 percent a year for the next several Earnings up 25% or more over the next few years. And this is a stock that has a huge runway and an inflation hedge as well because their revenue comes from their take of their merchants' revenue. As merchants raise price, so will PayPal get that price increase. You know, I'm looking at a note today um, from Barclays, which is looking, Carrie, at the overall landscape of you know, growth and value, cyclical versus growth. Um, and they say there's going to be a change in leadership from cyclical back to secular growth. I'm wondering how you think that plays into a stock like PayPal or Square, for that matter, which is which is owned by some, um, exactly. which is an obvious yeah. uh, pair trade um, if, if you're going in that way. Yeah, it will. It, exactly. It plays into it. And we talked about that last week. I wrote a piece for the, an op ed for CNBC talking about how the rotation away from cyclicals and values seemed to be happening over the past month. And we looked at what 
what stocks have been on the top of the kind of S&P leaderboard. And they have been the growth names because those have underperformed. And this is a growth environment. We've had a big reopening trade. So it makes sense that we start to see the growth companies come back. And PayPal is one of the big ones. Tell me about Waste Connections, number two on your list, WCN. Mm-hmm. So I, I picked a couple of mid-cap names. So Waste Connection does municipal trash. They have built in CPI-connected uh, links in their contracts, so some inflation protection. And we're seeing a reopening of hotels, restaurants, office buildings that have been closed. That means volumes go up, so price is going up, volumes is going up. They also, in many cases, have these tuck-in acquisitions that have been accretive over the years. So we expect low double digits earnings growth for a very sustainable and predictable company in a space that that we think will benefit in reopening as well as growth. I'll bring Brenda in just for a second because Brenda you own Waste Management I'm assuming a direct competitor to Waste Connections. Not 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 quite as much because Waste Yeah, Waste Connection is bigger business, I mean bigger cities. Look, Brenda Yeah, I was going to say from a geographic standpoint, there's not as much overlap as you might think. But I think thematically, there's absolutely the overlap. And I would agree with Carrie. You know, these are interesting businesses because they're very defensive. But at the same time, during a growth environment, we all generate a lot more trash. And especially if you look at, you know, just e-commerce in general and how much recyclable uh, uh, product is is uh, generated during that process. um, I think there is absolutely a reason to own these names both in a growth environment and and in a, a more challenging environment. So we like the group. Okay. Carrie, lastly, O'Reilly Auto. Yeah. So the key driver there, no pun intended, is miles driven. And we've seen a lot more miles driven over the last few months because of reopening. So that plays into the company. As people keep their cars longer, they need more repairs, more auto parts. They're a distributor. They're able to pass on higher cost products to customers. And also what we're seeing is with a proliferation of hybrids and electric vehicles, they're not so standardized. There's just more and more SKUs. And that's good for O'Reilly's business. It sells for 19 times forward earnings, a discount, and we expect low teens growth in EPS over the next several years. Okay, and whereas Josh Brown picked his uh, sector of choice as discretionary, you're leaning on technology for the next six months. Yeah, I mean, tech has underperformed. It's up 10% versus 12.5 for the S&P. And if you go back further, more underperformance. Uh, We know that earnings have been accelerating, so the multiples have compressed. Apple and Microsoft together are 41% of the tech index. Apple has been flat since September 2nd of 2020. The S&P is up 18%. If you look at a chart, it looks like Apple is starting to break out. I think that was mentioned yesterday, but I believe it to be true. And that matters a lot to tech. We also have with inflationary pressures, the costs are not going up much, but they've got built-in inflation um, hedges with their subscription models, seat models, and the process uh, payers that we discussed like PayPal. And finally, if you're looking for where earnings growth is highest in the S&P, it's still technology. And with the underperformance, it makes the group, particularly the large cap, big cash flow generators more attractive. Okay. Steve Weiss, of all the names you've heard thus far, be it Live Nation, Teradata, Upstart, or some of Carrie's PayPal, Waste Connections, O'Reilly, you have either discretionary or technology. Which do you like the best of what you've heard so far, Steve? 
Well, I can tell you what I liked best by what I did while they were talking, which is I bought some Live Nation. Mm. So I bought a little of it. I looked at the chart. <laughs> Stock really hasn't done much after it got its initial recovery. But Josh definitely convinced me that's a place that you want to be. And where else are you going to play it? You're going to play it through Live Nation in terms of the theme. So I Weiss, like that let's quite go a see Springsteen together this September. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just want me to get your free tickets. That's okay. That's all right. Um, so, so Live Nation is the one. All right. Pete, I'm coming over to you now. Yeah. Um, of your three names, let's begin with one that, that folks have certainly heard you talk about quite often in many respects because your, your belief in the CEO, and I'm sure some people are thinking another stock, but I'm going to throw out Microsoft because it's on your list. We'll get to the other yeah. one, which is not such a surprise either. But again, you know, Pete, sure. it's not like... Um, these stocks haven't done anything, right? Microsoft's had a nice little right. move. Now some of the fangs had stalled, mm -hmm. and they may be picking up again. Why Microsoft as, as one of your three? Sure, because I think Satya Nadella's really got the, he's got his eye on the prize. As always, we always talk about the CEO because I think that's where everything starts up in the C-suite and the directions that they want to go. But when we look at what he has been doing, he's been stealing market share in the cloud. We all know that. He's been raising revenue absolutely off the charts. Matter of fact, this last quarter, I think, was the biggest quarter since 2018. And they just continue to grow, Scott. And I like the fact that they made that huge acquisition of LinkedIn. That's starting to become a huge revenue stream as well. But the other side of it is, uh, that, that stuck out for me recently was in gaming. Now, I know that's not a huge part of their business, but it is a part of their business. And it's growing. It's been growing at about a 50% clip. And what I like about what they're doing now is this subscription model, sort of a Netflix-type idea, where they're, they're doing that with uh, the streaming for, for Microsoft Gaming. And I think that just shows you that they are focused on every single business segment, and they are winning in just about every single business segment. As a matter of fact, and I love Amazon, and I know Josh loves Amazon, but just go back. Look at year-to-date. Microsoft has outpaced them. One year, outpaced them. Two year, five year. When you look at what Microsoft has been able to do and produce, I think part of the reason that they are performing so well is they continue to take market share in the cloud, but it's not just about the cloud. It's about all of their business segments. And I think he is laser focused, Satya Nadella, on being the best in every single category. And I think they're doing an amazing job. Rich Saperstein, we're going to get to your individual picks a little bit later, but I'll bring your sector in now because it's right what we're talking about here in the sweet spot. And you can talk about it. It's large cap tech. So Pete likes Microsoft. You heard Josh talk about Amazon. And you yourself like large cap tech for the place to be over the next six months. Tell me about that. Well, in the next five years, investors are going to look back and think about uh, how much tech they owned in their portfolios because they could nail the value rotation in the short run. But in the end, once we recover and get back to a normalized run rate in the economy, and a normalized fiscal and monetary policy regime, it's going to be tech that's going to be driving the uh, earnings gains. And in particular, if you look at the large cap tech and you look at what they're doing with uh, operating cash flows, free cash flows, you know, we just talked about uh, Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft, $72 billion worth of operating cash flow. They're putting about $20 billion back into business. So there's $50 billion in free cash flow that's going to be going back to some productive use and if you go through all the large cap tech stocks they have very similar attributes they have large moats around the businesses recurring revenues 
And we really think it's a place to be going forward over the next few years. All right. I'll come back to you, as I said, in just a little bit for your own individual picks. But, Pete, let's run through another one. Um, give me 30 sure. seconds on Capital One. Of all of the sort of credit sure. card finance-related names, Cap One is on your list. Why? Well, because of their credit card exposure, and I don't think anybody gives them credit for that, Scott. And what I really like about this company is they've got that exposure, they're winning there. And then when you look at what their earnings look like projected out at 18 bucks, take a look at where this stock is trading right now. It just hit highs not too terribly long ago. It's pulled back a little bit. But their free cash flow, they're just doing everything right. Yes, they've got the banking exposure as well. But it's about the credit card, and that's where they're killing it. And then when you look at the P.E., you look at where it trades in terms of price to book, like we oftentimes do with these financials, it is inexpensive in every single category. And measure them up against American Express or, or a MasterCard or anybody else in that category, they're way less expensive. So I think there's so much more runway to Capital One that it's just started. I bought it back in September of 2020. I have no intention of getting rid of it anytime soon. I got to be honest with you. Uh, when I saw your sector pick, I was a little surprised. I said, okay, maybe Pete likes large cap tech. You know, I know you like Microsoft and some of the other names like Apple, obviously there. I know Pete likes energy because yep. he's been talking about it on the program and he's added some exposure in that yeah. space. But your sector choice is one that's done pretty well. That's healthcare. Tell us why. Well, I think for a lot of different reasons, I will start with the fact that most of the big pharma names specifically, they trade very inexpensively. And, and they have for a long time, but it seems like maybe there's a little bit of an ease going on right now, Scott, in terms of what's going on, especially when you go back to Biogen and what happened there with the FDA versus the advisory committee. Um, it tells me something in the last 15, 16 months of what we've all been going through that maybe there's a chance for some of these companies to be able to get to the levels where they might see a bit, a little bit more of a leniency in terms of what's going on um, with, with some of the delivery from all of these pipelines. And that could be something huge. And then, by the way, take a look at where these stocks are all trading. Basically, you look at Pfizer, you look at Merck, you look at Bristol-Meyer, all of them, give or take, somewhere close to about a 10 PE, very inexpensive. You've got biotech, names like Moderna, which I know, obviously, Steve Weiss loves this name, and he does for all the right reasons. I think when you look at healthcare, it's got a leg that it could certainly be a leg up for the second half of the year. Okay, Degas, you wrap it up for me now with a comment before we go to break. You, <clears throat> excuse me, you own Change Healthcare, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, ResMed, Thermo Fisher, United Health. So you have exposure in this space. You agree with Pete that this is a place you want to be? I, I do. I think you have to be in the healthcare because that's where a lot of innovation is going on. And we believe in this sector Plus, as we look at this sector, you see improving earnings going forward. So this is a sector you want to be a part of. All right, good stuff. You get ready because you're coming up as well. We are just getting started. Day two of our Stock Summit continuing next. Brenda Vingello's coming up along with Steve Weiss. Pete's got unusual activity. Degas has his picks. Rich Saperstein makes his. As a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more.
Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. A Senate showdown on voting rights legislation is set for this afternoon. Democrats have scheduled a vote on whether to start debate on a version of a bill already passed by the House. They will need 60 votes to get past a Republican filibuster. And that appears very likely or unlikely, I should say, at this point. Spain's prime minister says that he hopes to open a new era of dialogue as his cabinet pardons nine Catalan separatist leaders who were in prison for sedition. While they will be freed from prison, they will remain ineligible for public office. UK government will allow 60,000 fans to attend the semifinals and final of the Euro 2020 soccer tournament at Wembley Stadium. It's all 75 percent of capacity. It'll be the largest crowd to see a sporting event in the UK since the pandemic began. And Munich's mayor says today that it is shameful that European soccer officials will not allow the city stadium to be lit in rainbow colors to show support for LGBT rights. Germany plays Hungary tomorrow as part of the European tournament, and the mayor wanted the lighting to protest laws in Hungary that critics say undermine those rights. UEFA rejected the plan as too political. You are now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Okay, Rahel, we appreciate that. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, our stock summit continues continues right now. Brenda Vangelo, you are up with woo, a stock that I'll tell you what. Jim Cramer was talking about this morning. It's Disney. We know how far that stock has come. Kramer sold it and was pretty critical of it in post-pandemic life. What do you think? Why is it on the top of your list today? Well, I think this story is far from over. And I think the company did what it needed to do during the pandemic, right? And and did a brilliant job of launching Disney Plus, getting incredible traction with over 100 million subscribers. Um, But as we look going forward, this is a company that has a, a very unique ability to monetize content across a variety of platforms. So as we see the parks reopening, as cruise ships begin to sail again, as movie theaters reopen, we think it's just going to create an experience uh, for uh, consumers uh, to to get the full Disney experience. And I think this is a it's experience that feeds off of itself, where more visits to the park are likely to drive more visits and subscribers to Disney Plus and so on, more purchase of licensed goods. If you look at what the company has been doing on the park side, they have been optimizing profitability at the parks and also optimizing guest experience. So I do think at the end of the day, Disney is going to come out of this in a much stronger position than they ever were prior to the pandemic, uh, where they have better profitability at parks. They have the Disney Plus uh, franchise. Um, So we really think there is a continued opportunity here. And the stock really has not done anything this year. It did have a a decent year last year, certainly. Sure did. But we we still think there's a lot of room to move higher, especially if you use some of the parts valuation methodology and look at how it's being valued versus a Netflix, for example. We still think there's plenty of upside here. Okay, and you do like uh, discretionary as your as your sector play. I'll throw that out. I want to hear more about another stock, though, and it's CVS. CVS, why? So for a couple of reasons. One, the company is still incredibly well positioned to benefit from the value orientation happening within healthcare. They have minute clinics where 50% of visitors to minute clinics do not have a primary care physician. So they're fulfilling a very great need and they're doing it in a very cost effective way. But the real reason for picking this one uh, for the uh, second half story is because last year the cold and flu season, traditional cold and flu season was non-existent. And this year, if we're all pretending like 
it's New Year's Eve every day between now and year end and spending uh, time with 16,000 of our closest friends at uh, concert venues, uh, chances are we're going to have a more normalized cold and flu season. And so that should absolutely benefit the company. Oh, interesting. And lastly, stock is cheap. It's 10 times earnings. Um, so we still think there is opportunity here. The stock has acted well. It's picked up this year, but we think there's still more room to go. Okay. And how about TJX, the final of your three picks? Yeah, so TJX, uh, we also think is very well positioned to benefit from those who really have missed the in-person shopping experience. It caters to a wide variety of demographics. We think there is going to be a replacement cycle happening within apparel. None of us have bought apparel for the last year, chances are, unless it was a pair of sweatpants to hang out at home. So we think with back to school, with back to work, there is going to be a desire uh, to have to replace some items. Also, the company really has access to a lot of great inventory right now. They have been uh, the victim of a lot of COVID-related uh, disruptions to shipping and so on, uh, and that's hurt margins. But if you look beneath that, the merchandise margins have been great. Uh, so we think as time goes on, those COVID-related disruptions are going to go away, and you'll be left with a company where traffic is returning to stores, inventory quality is high, and margins are, are improving. Okay. Brenda, thank you very much for your picks. Steve Weiss, you are up next with a stock that you've certainly mentioned many times on this program, and that is Moderna. Why, of all the stocks you could have picked, is that near the top of your list, one that is already up more than 100% year-to-date? Yeah, and it's up almost tenfold since I started buying it. And I'll tell you why, because it is still the cheapest stock I own and it still has the best growth opportunities. When you have a biotech platform like this is that's been completely de-risked as it was with COVID, then you've got to go all in. They've got a pipeline of 24 vaccines and therapeutics. That's going to grow to over 30, particularly new chief medical officer they hired who's in cardiovascular and they only have one vaccine there. Just focus on the COVID vaccine. This is not a COVID company only. Focus on that. Right now they charge about $17 per dose. They've committed to keep that during the pandemic. When the pandemic's over and you need the boosters, which are gonna be combined with a flu shot where the efficacy is about 90% instead of 50 60%, that per dose goes up to $100 to $150 per, which is standard. Additionally, this is one of the only, perhaps the only branded companies in biotech that you've seen or pharma. When you go and you ask for your cardio drug, you say, give me the drug name. Here you go and say, I'll take the Moderna COVID vaccine. Next up, which will be approved this year, or at least early next year, but in phase three this year, is their CMV vaccine. The only one on the market that's for birth defects, that's two to five billion. They have an incredible results on their tumor, on their cancer tumor vaccine. Early phase one trial is showing shrinkage of nearly 60% in a couple of patients at a very low dose. Finally, and there's plenty more, so it's not finally, the CEO owns about 7% of the stock. I know him very well at this point. They are spending money to, in, to increase their business, putting up facilities in Poland, expanding in the U.S. If you own 7% of it, you wouldn't be spending unless you saw a bright future. So when we look back, this stock's going to have a move like Amazon has held over the years. It's not going to double. It's going to triple. It's going to quadruple, maybe more. Wow. So that's why Moderna. Okay, number two, Porsche. 
So Porsche is very simply Porsche, and it, it owns 53% of the voting stock of Volkswagen. They are leading in EVs right behind Tesla. They'll produce more than Tesla next year. They're trading at about seven times earnings. There's a, they're the largest car seller in China, the second largest car market in the world. If you just valued them the same way you value Tesla and ignore their profitable combustible engine cars, you'd have $500 stock. Do you still own General Motors? Uh, I own a little bit. It's trading position, but this is cheaper than GM, much cheaper than GM. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, GM's had a big move, and, and there's a big, uh, obvious push behind EV there. And, and lastly, one that may be one of your largest positions at, at this point. You've certainly have, have mentioned it, and I know you've added to it on multiple occasions. XPO. XPO, they're breaking the company into two. They'll be excellent companies. They're not investment grade now. One will come out and be investment grade shortly thereafter. The logistics and the freight business, they're all over the world. The catalyst will be when they break and analysts value them separately, which they've already started to do with price targets of $185. That'll happen in the second half of this year, and it's off to the races. Plus, freight is so tight. Prices are going up. It, and it's a housing play. They ship more white goods, more appliances than anyone else in the country. Tell me why you like technology as, as your sector, Steve, and you say specifically growth at a reasonable price. Which stocks specifically are you talking about in terms of those kind of tech names? Right. So I'm talking about Corvo. 5G is still the dominant theme for me. And you're in the very, very early innings. The use cases are incalculable. So the total addressable market for these stocks, you can't even figure it out. But I've got companies like Corvo, like Skyworks, that are growing the bottom line at more than 30 percent and top line at over 20 percent. You don't find that at a big discount to the market. I also think Facebook will do quite well. I think Google will continue to do quite well. Apple I'll own. I'm not going to sell, but I'm the most concerned about Apple in terms of outperformance. So anything 5G on the chip side is going to do incredibly well over the next decade, and particularly this year. All right, good stuff. The final two reveals in our stock summit coming up next. Degas Wright, Rich Saperstein. We're back right after this. All right, back on our stock summit. Degas, you are up. Your number one pick right now, Best Buy. Tell me why. Yeah, Scott, a reason for Best Buy is that we have to look at overarching themes, and that overarching theme is millennials. Millennials are those 25 to 40-year-olds that are starting households. And one of the first thing you do when you buy a home is you buy that big screen television. And so consumers can depend on Best Buy to, to provide that geek squad to install that big screen television and electronics. Plus, during the 2021, it surprised earnings over 50%. And when we start looking forward into the rest of 2021, we're seeing earnings improvement going forward. So we really like Best Buy. Yeah, Pete, you love this pick, right? Absolutely. I think anytime that this stock, Scott, is sitting somewhere between a 10 and a 12 PE, you have to take a look at it and see why is it trading so inexpensively. And I think Degas is exactly right here. I think this is a stock that has a lot of room to the upside. It's pulled back on those highs. I think it'll shoot right back up there again. All right, Degas, pick number two, MetLife. MetLife, still with that same theme of millennials. One of the things we learned about the pandemic is that the importance of family. As millennials start their families, they're going to be buying life insurance and health insurance. 
and we really like MetLife because ultimately they have surprised on the upside about 20% and we see positive earnings growth going forward. CSX is the last of your three. CSX, this is a key link in the supply chain. We've been talking a lot about the digital sales and how that impacts supply chains. Well, CSX is a primary driver there because they have over 20,000 route miles. Also, by using rail compared to trucks, you save or reduce carbon emissions by 75%. As we look forward into 2021, we're seeing profits growing for CXX. And, and finally, you know, I think we have a little bit more agreement on sector picks today than perhaps we did yesterday. We had a little bit more diversity of choice. Here you like consumer discretionary as your top sector pick as well. Exactly, because if you think about during the pandemic, everybody was saving money. As you go into now, look at the consumer discretion, what are, are those products? Those are the non-essential things you could not buy during the pandemic. As we come out of the pandemic, people want to buy. You know, one of the things that we're looking at is that consumer spending makes up 70% of the GDP. GDP is growing at 6%. So we really like this. And then we did some more research into this area, and we noticed that Consumer discretionary has the highest growth in earnings going forward into 2021. And lastly, this past weekend I was out and I saw how many people were going about. Just like Josh mentioned, everybody wants to connect with family and friends in restaurants, sporting events, leisure activities. And these are the areas that will benefit consumer discretionaries. All right. Yeah. Personal channel checks. They're as good as any. Degas, we appreciate it very much. All right, Rich Saperstein, you are up now. Number one pick, Amazon. And you've been adding to it lately, too. So you have a lot of conviction in it, not just a choice, uh, but you've got some new money behind it, too. I think it's a core holding amongst portfolios for you know, the obvious reasons uh, that everyone continues to mention on the show. But if you look at the uh, operating cash flow of 67 billion and they're reinvesting 45 billion in CapEx, um, their methodology is basically to start building businesses like the cloud and then offer it as a service to other companies. And right now they're reinvesting in fulfillment, whether it's warehouses, uh, trucks, planes, logistics, so I think there's there's a lot more to that story, not to mention ad spending, MGM, uh, healthcare. They're going into the pharmacy business. I, I think it's a great long-term holding. You have some value tech, or at least what you perceive is, is certainly value. Cisco is your next pick. Well, when you look at the operating cash flow of roughly uh, $15 billion for a 6.5% yield, and then you think about the fact that they have a very strong balance sheet, $24 billion, but the recurring revenue model continues to creep higher. 25% of their revenues are now recurring revenue. It's $11 billion run rate. So just like a lot of us like uh, the Apple story for their recurring revenue in their service business, here it's creeping higher on Cisco. There's a lot of drivers, whether it's through uh, 5G, adoption of the cloud, uh, if there's a diminished use of Huawei's uh, networking gear, Cisco becomes a beneficiary, and it's at a discount to the tech sector. And lastly, Vistra Corp. Tell me about that one. Well, this is interesting for us because uh, it's uh, an $8.6 billion market cap utility that got crushed 
in the Texas cold weather event. But the free cash flow is $1.9 billion going forward. So basically, you have 20% of the market cap, um, they're free cash flowing. Uh, so why is it selling so cheap? Well, basically, um, there's some regulatory issues relative to the decommissioning of some coal power plants at 29% coal. And so they don't really have that finalized. Then in their Texas business, uh, there's going to be new regulations to winterize a lot of their plants. So there'll be increased costs there. But in the end, you have a utility converting from coal to green. You've got very strong cash flow. And that story is not has not ended. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. I'll tell you what. Um, I love the originality, uh, everybody, of, of your picks. Not much overlap from committee member to committee member, whether it's today or yesterday, on, on your selections. I appreciate the thought that you all gave to this. I know our viewers do as well. When we come back, Pete has unusual activity. We'll do it next. Okay, Pete, I think we've done more than 20 or so actionable names to this point, but we're going to do more now with your unusual activity. What do you see today? Yeah, let's get after it. I got a trifecta in a single stock, Scott. I've got Apple. So this morning, right out of the gate, we had some buyers of the very last week in July, July 30th. They were buying the 155 calls. Now, those are way out of the money. Stock was trading right around 132. Those aren't the ones that I'm focusing on because then a little bit later, we had a buyer of the July uh, 138 calls. And they were buying those in size. About 9,000 of those were getting bought, Scott. A pretty interesting trade, a lot closer to where the strike was. Stock was right around that 132 level still. And we had a nice big buyer there. They were only paying about 75 cents on average for those options. Just a couple of minutes ago, we had the July 139 calls getting bought, about 9,500 of those. So I added a little bit more to my initial buy. But I still see this as a stock that wants to break out. I know it's trading right around 132, 133. I think we're starting to see a stock that's ready to go through 140 in a hurry. So that's something to keep an eye on. Lastly, I've got you with Wells Fargo. Now, Wells Fargo was trading right around 43 bucks a share. And then suddenly we had some huge buying in the August 45 calls. They bought 15,000 of those calls. At the same time, they were selling the downside put. So, in other words, the 40-strike put. That tells me somebody's very, very bullish. This was not connected to stock. They were buying the upside call, selling the downside put. That tells me somebody's looking for this stock to make a nice move to the upside. If not, they're willing to own it underneath 140. So some really interesting activity today in the financials as well. All right, sweet. Pete, appreciate that very much. Coming up, we have more trades ahead because the committee members are making new moves in their portfolios as well. I'll tell you about it when we come back. All right, we're back. Let's go through some moves now. Weiss, you bought L Brands. Tell our viewers why. I did. So L Brands filed their form 10, which is what you file when you've got an action like you're splitting the company in two. So this will be two, Bath and Body Works and Victoria's Secret. And the numbers they showed and the projections going out three to five years are phenomenal. So this stock, again, similar to XPO, when it breaks in two, you'll see analyst reports come out, speak about the great value there between these two companies. I think you see the stock trade a lot higher. Rich Saperstein, you know, one of the things that jumps out to me about your new moves among, you know, we mentioned Amazon and there's Microsoft and Salesforce, which you bought more of. You, you added to Chevron, too, which I think is interesting, just given where the conversation around energy is, along with, obviously, the move in, in oil prices. Tell me. <clears throat> Well, I think that owning uh, some commodity company 
uh, is very important here because everyone has their views on inflation and the price of commodities, but uh, it's very important to hedge an overall growth portfolio with some value-oriented names, especially in the commodity sector. That's why we own it. Why'd you sell Verizon? Uh, we needed to make room for some other names, so uh, uh, th there were better opportunities for that capital. I mean, that doesn't really tell me, but I mean, you have other things you could have sold, but why was Verizon the one you picked, Rich? Well, we didn't feel that there was enough growth opportunities in there. It wasn't trading well. And uh, I'd rather own more recurring revenue businesses like uh, a CRM. We like uh, Fiserv, uh, you know, for the e-payments delivery systems increasing uh, as a post-COVID reality. So there's much better opportunities than Verizon. Okay, see, I push you a little bit. You give me a little bit more. I appreciate that. That's how this works, to give and take. All right, Degas, lastly, you bought Manhattan Associates. Yes, uh, Scott, brought, uh, uh, Manhattan Associates, it's a $9 billion firm that does business to business. It uses artificial intelligence to provide supply chain software that improves their customers' return on investments. It has a uh, surprise on the upside for earnings, about 20%, and we're seeing improving profitability going forward. Okay, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades and the Josh Brown stock that hit a new all-time high today. We'll tell you what it is next. All right, welcome back. First intraday high for the NASDAQ. There it is, up 70 points today, 14211. It's the first intraday high since the end of April. So a nice move there, uh, helping the things along. CrowdStrike. Josh Brown, your stock got upgraded today, also hit an all-time high. Yeah, so this is on a new Stiefel note this morning. And, I mean, I, I don't know what else there is left to say. They upped their target to 300. This company saw, in the first quarter this year, their customer base double to 11,000 customers, uh, paying customers for their various products, CrowdStrike Falcon being the, the flagship. And Stiefel is saying that that could go to 100,000 paying customers. If you just look at Symantec prior to the, the acquisition by Broadcom or McAfee, mm -hmm. which is a shell of its former self, and CrowdStrike is taking share from them. You think about this company with 100,000 paying enterprise customers right. years from now. It could be much, much G bigger. Give me a quick name, and everybody just names for finals. Go ahead, Josh. Uh, uh, Amazon, half a percent away from a record high. All it's right. going to happen. Pete? Exxon. Kerry? Peloton. Degas? Sprouse Farmers Market. Brenda? Stryker. All right. Weiss? FedEx into earnings Thursday. All right. Rich? On the market. Uh, all right. It's great to see everybody. Thanks so much. That does it for our Stock Summit and for the Halftime Report today. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.